Hello and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast. My name is Laura Rowe. I'm the editor of the magazine and your host for this week's Delectable Foodie Digest. This week we have Anna, our cookery writer, revealing her top tips for cooking with coffee. There's more to these roasted caffeine-fueled grounds than tiramisu, you know. Sarah Kingsbury, our resident drinks expert, has been exploring Greek wine. Well, somebody's got to do it. And I've been speaking to some of the UK's most passionate chefs and foodies at last weekend's super sunny Abergavenny Food Festival and what they believe will be on the agenda for 2017. First up, here's Anna and I buzzing on how to cook with coffee. Okay, so first up, we've got the lovely Anna, our cookery writer. And today we're going to talk about coffee as an ingredient, aren't we, Anna? We are, yes. Now, we're all coffee addicts in the Olive Office, apart from me, who doesn't like coffee. But my experience of cooking with it is like my nan just used to use camp um, coffee syrup in her coffee cakes. And that's about it, really, in tiramisu, maybe, with my mum. But otherwise... I wouldn't know what the hell to do with it. Which surprisingly, camp is made uh, from chicory as well as coffee. Really? As well. Yeah. Okay, so. that's that's interesting. So it wasn't even coffee that I was cooking with then. <laughs> okay, so what should we be doing with coffee? Um, it's a really versatile ingredient. I think it creates depth of flavour to savoury dishes as well as sweet. Okay. So um, I think it's really it's a great experimental sort of thing so mm. it's really it's really great in gravy okay um so it's the same as if you sort of roasting bones for gravy and that sort of thing um it's add adds to that flavor and it's the um yeah a really deep savory flavor so how would you add that to your gravy is that through like granules or you know in, is that your instant coffee or is that I'd probably add a splash of espresso, okay. to be honest, just for like a little kick. A hit, um, yeah. Yeah. Or you could add it to sauces, so it'd be really nice, sort of like with beef stock, with a bit of espresso. Yeah. And then just a bit of cream as well, so that'd be really nice with a steak. Everything sounds good with yeah. cream, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think also with a demi-glace as well, uh, which is like a rich brown sauce where you roast the bones and it's sort of like a, a, a meat sauce yeah. usually made with veal bones but um, if you put like a splash even just a bit of instant coffee or something it okay. really heightens the the roasting flavour um, and it yeah it makes it really savoury so really good one excellent um, you can also add it to stews so um, coffee and chilli are really good together okay because it's sort of the sweetness and the heat of the chilli and then sort of the bitterness and the dark notes yeah. of coffee. So I've never thought to put those two together. That's yeah, interesting. So, so the same as if you'd put dark chocolate in chilli, okay. you could put a splash of coffee in chilli. Okay, interesting. As well. Or it works really well with venison and game because um, it lends itself to the... Um, it's because of the bitter notes. Um, it really works well with the intensity and the richness of the meat. Oh, as well. that sounds so, so delicious. You could, you could do like a, um, a venison stew and then just add a little bit of coffee... Um, with the, with some red wine or something. That so everyone's going to be buzzing when they're cooking all yeah. of these recipes. <laughs> um, but yeah, and also it's quite traditional in Mexican sauce mole. Okay. So you have like a dark mole. It's really traditional, but it's everyone, every family has their own secret method of making it. Oh, yeah. So it can have as many or as few ingredients. Um, but a lot of people use coffee in that as well too, because it is quite a bitter sauce. It's very rich, very yeah. deep. I didn't realise it had coffee in it. I just thought it was chocolate in a moment. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah it's chocolate as well. Um, well, it depends which, which ah, I see which family you are. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but it also with it, so it cooks for so long, and they stir the dried 
um, sauce on the side of the pan back into the sauce, which gives it its dark colour. Okay. Um, but it sort of reflects that note as well of the of the sauce. Okay. Um, we also have a really good recipe on olivemagazine.com for bacon jam, and this is Dan Doherty's recipe. Okay, and so he, he's Duck and Waffles executive yes. chef, isn't he? Okay, cool. Yes, and he adds a shot of espresso to this bacon jam for like a really sticky, rich um gooey jam it's really really nice i can i can fully vouch for that bacon jam it's proper nice but he's obviously clocked onto this coffee trend a lot earlier than everyone else great idea so yeah going on from that i reckon it'd be really nice i haven't tried this but as a if you add it to a glaze for ribs oh yeah that would be really good yeah so if you sort of slow cook ribs and then use like a coffee glaze Maybe some maple syrup in there. That'd be oh really good. God, yes. Um, <laughs> so it's it's really good with meat, basically. Yeah. Like, it'd be really interesting if anyone does try any of these to yeah, let us know how tweet us and Instagram us. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But the the easiest way is to marinate a steak in coffee. So if you do a cafetiere coffee, let it go cold, and then maybe. Um, um, add a few spices in there like some thyme and garlic okay. and then you marinate a steak in the coffee mm. which apparently adds to the tenderness but I've, I don't know about that we'll have to it experiment just, in the test yeah, kitchen won't we to it see does, about that it adds the flavour but um, the other way with steak is if you use the actual espresso grounds as a crust for the steak okay. and so if you add sort of chilli and a few dried herbs and things it adds like a really really nice crust on there so it's like really juicy meat inside and almost like the burnt edge you know the burnt char of a really yes. good steak it adds to that so that's really good but it isn't just the meat there are okay. a few other so you can add it to a salad dressing <laughs> <laughs> All right, now you're taking the mickey here. Yeah. The salad dressing. Yeah, coffee and balsamic dressing. Seriously? Yeah, it's really, really nice. I, <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't say do a whole mug of coffee in a dressing, but no. a few tablespoons of espresso okay. with a, quite a sweet salad. Right. So no bitter leaves, but um, sort of, or like grilled vegetables it would would work really well. Okay. And, um, I can imagine like aubergine or something actually would go well with that. Yeah, yeah. and or like a fennel and oh. orange salad or something, it would work really nice. That would go well with the chicory camp <laughs> vibe as well, wouldn't it? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and you could also sprinkle it on roasted carrots um, and beetroot yeah. as a seasoning. So rather than using it as an ingredient, you could season because when they are roasted, when you roast root vegetables, they do become quite sweet. Yeah. It's the natural sugar. Sugar is caramelised. So it'd be really nice to add a bit of coffee, like ground coffee, just in the last 10 minutes of, of roasting. That's really cool to use the different types of coffee that we've got available as well, though, yeah. for the different methods. Yeah. That sounds so cool. All right. And we've got loads of sweet ideas on olivemagazine.com yeah. too, haven't we? Plenty got, of desserts. We've got a very exciting tiramisu recipe coming oh, yes, in have, the December issue. Okay, so cool. I'm keeping that one under wraps, yeah. but it's very good. Watch, watch this space, <laughs> listen to the space. All of the above, make sure you're, you're keeping posted of, of what we're up to at Olive Magazine. Um, amazing. Yeah. Who knew you could do so much with coffee, Anna? Thank you. Um, yes, I'm going to have to start saving all of the grounds that you guys are using <laughs> from your coffee as ever if you want any great recipe ideas you can head to olivemagazine.com and check out our social media feeds on twitter facebook instagram for loads more inspiration as well all right thanks anna thank you next up here's sarah our drinks writer learning all about greek wine 
Hi, so I am Sarah, I'm the drinks writer, and today I'm at the Greek Larder in King's Cross with Theodore, who is head chef and founder of the London Greek Wine Festival. Hi Theodore, how are you? I am very good, thank you. So I'm here to learn about Greek wine, which we're seeing a massive resurgence of at the moment. I personally love Greek wine, I think it's really good value for money, get some fantastic bottles, but I don't know anything about it really. If I'm choosing from wine list, I'm kind of doing it a bit blind. So just want to come and chat to you and find out what it's all about, what we should be looking for, what the different regions mean, and yeah, what your advice is when choosing Greek wine. So Greek wines have been uh, uh, on the go for, uh, uh, for centuries. It's one of the, uh, the oldest regions, wine-producing regions, is that right? I believe so, yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, they've been around for, you know, uh, you know, for centuries, uh, but I, I would say the last, uh, uh, you know, uh, 25 you know, to 30 years um, uh, uh, has been uh, uh, lots of work from everyone, from uh, the people who work the land to uh, uh, the enologists, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to produce uh, uh, wine. Um, that uh, has gone out of the image of the bulk wine that you normally drink when you go to Greece. As soon as you go to a restaurant in Greece and they say to you, oh, let me give you one of my wines, um, that they are sitting in big uh, barrels and they are heavily oxidized. So we have gone away from that image uh, and uh, and we're uh, producing uh, wines that uh, you can see the difference on the terroirs, mm-hmm. uh, and you can see the difference of taste in uh, the same variety from uh, being cultivated in the north of Greece or in the south of Greece. Uh, it's such a varied terroir, isn't it? Depending where you go, or whether you're on the islands or the mainland, you know, you could grow the same grapes, and it's going to produce a completely different wine. Uh, 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 absolutely, and uh, uh, and Greece, uh, for for the for the majority of the non-Greeks. Uh, they believe it's just a, a very hot country with a thousand islands being sandwiched between uh, Greece and uh, Turkey or Greece and Italy. Uh, but Greece has got a mainland uh, which has got uh, four very good seasons. Uh, you know, we've got win- winters with uh, two and a half to three meters of snow, um, and, uh, and, and we've got uh, uh, you know, different climates and the wines that they are produced in the north that they cannot produce in the south. Um, uh, so, you know, Greece, uh, like you know, the rest of the Mediterranean countries, you know, they, they, they've got very varied climate and very varied soil from wherever you are you know, geographically. But, but what it makes Greece you know, very, very unique uh, not only Greece, but what makes Greece very, very unique is uh, the, the, the indigenous varieties. Uh, there, are, there are hundreds of those. Um, uh, 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 lots of them uh, uh, were about to extinct, but uh, the last uh, you know, 30 years, as I was saying earlier on, it has been a very conscious work by everyone to, to bring uh, you know those uh, vines back to life. Yeah, I'm uh, very excited to try them. They're really beautiful bottles as well. I mean, I've no idea what any of it means, but hopefully I will do by the end of it. <laughs> We've got uh, the the northern part of Greece that has got uh, uh, a, a variety that people, even the non-Greeks, feel quite familiar with it, which is called xinomavro. Um, uh, xinomavro means uh, 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 a sour black. Uh, and the uh, the northwest part of Greece is mainly 
producing the most uh, you know, excellent xenomover. And uh, then you've got the, the Peloponnese in the area of Nemea, which is uh, the very northern tip of uh, the Peloponnese, um, it produces uh, the St. George's, um, and uh, which again is a very you know, a, a known variety to lots of people who, who, who like wine, uh, uh, red wine. And then you go across to the uh, Aegean, uh, especially to the island of Santorini, um, uh, where you've got the, uh, the Assyrtico, uh, which is a, a, a white wine. Yeah. And then coming back to the area of Attica, where Athens belongs to, you've got the Savatiano, uh, which is also uh, the original base to start your uh, uh, retina. Personally, uh, I prefer starting from uh, from reds. Okay. So I uh, uh, I I finish with the with the strong tannins, mm-hmm. and, and then just wash my mouth and go go to my uh, uh, to the whites. Um, I'll follow your lead. Uh, so the uh, the red here is from uh, the mayor, is from uh, the the winery is Visius. Uh, uh, called uh, and the variety is uh, a georgitico, uh, so St. George's, uh, in other words. It is an organic uh, uh, cultivation. Again, it doesn't make it uh, uh, better, just uh, uh, you know, the, the, the produce and the amount of wine produced is, uh, 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 is different. So, drop, uh, as you can see, it's like nice. Uh, you know, a dark color. Yeah, it's really beautiful um, color. Uh, mm-hmm. For lots of uh, the Greek wines, uh, you're going to see that they've got quite long legs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think most of the Greek reds, in my opinion, during the summer month, uh, they are very, very good. You know, you're chilling them just for 20 minutes, nothing yeah. more than that. And uh, you, you can see from the nose that it has got a very, very soft, you know, tannins. Um, uh, uh, lots of, uh, you know, aromas. Oh, that's lovely. It's really soft tannin. It's quite meaty wine, mm. uh, uh, but in in Greece we've got um, certain fish, like a, a very big halibut that is uh, okay. uh, it's almost like a, a piece of steak, mm. you can call it, and uh, so uh, uh, that will withstand a, a good wine like this one here, a good full-body wine. Yeah. So this is the area of the uh, uh, Peloponnese, uh, the geographical department, Nemea. Um, uh, uh, Nemea also for us is, uh, 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 I always bring the similarity to Tuscany. It's very, very hilly. But that's, uh, that's good for growing grapes, right. drainage and Absolutely. the way the sun hits. Absolutely. And uh, so this is our uh, uh, red wine. Uh, for today. It's really full, but it's still really soft. The tannins yes. are really soft. It's not too heavy, really delicious fruit, and then a bit of kind of chocolate almost yeah. on the finish. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. Now we're going to uh, travel a few kilometers uh, further up north mm-hmm. to Attica, to the area of Athens. Um, is the, the particular uh, winery is literally behind the, uh, uh, the Athenian airport. It comes from the winery of uh, uh, Papayanakos, uh, Vasilis Papayanakos. Uh, we're going to try a, a variety called uh, Savatiano. Here we've got two Savatianos from Savatiano from the same uh, winery uh, by the same man, mm-hmm. the same year, 
Uh, 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 the only uh, difference, this one is from uh, a 65-year-old uh, vines okay. uh, of one little piece of land that has produced very, very limited bottles. Just from one part of the vineyard? Yes. Okay. Uh, and uh, I think this one is just, he produced just 3,000 bottles and that is it. Um, and uh, uh, I think it will be good to actually try one uh, uh, against each other. Yeah. Uh, so I will give you those two and I will put you in the small one, this one here. This is the straightforward one. Uh, oh, wow, you can really, just by smelling it, you can uh, tell such a difference. Uh, uh, different notes. No, it's, it's very fresh. It's still quite full. Mm -hmm. It's not as, you know, a lot of kind of young whites mm -hmm. just kind of disappear on the palette. That's got a very long finish. Correct, correct. So the, a, a long finish is um, very fresh, as you said. Um, the majority of the big wines are drunk fresh, especially mm -hmm. the whites. Yeah. They're drunk within uh, uh, the year of, um, uh, of their production. Um, plus probably one more year, but not all of them are going to the second year. The, the second bottle we're going to try now, which is uh, the, the single vineyard, the 65-year-old Sabatiano, is a bottle that you can easily age it. I, I tried for the first time this wine, um, uh, my previous trip in Greece in uh, May, uh, where uh, totally out of accident, uh, I was just swimming in one of the uh, a, a local a beaches of Athens uh, a called Porto Rafti mm -hmm. and the wine is not far away from there and uh, a, and, and I took the uh, a, with the family went to have uh, a, a, some local fish and uh, a, a, almost the next table was Vasilis um, and uh, so he said to me ha 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 have you tried this one here so uh, that's how I found it uh, really? we're, the, we're the only people uh, uh, who have it uh, uh, in the UK. Wow. Uh, uh, that doesn't mean that it's... Uh, I'm saying the thing, uh, just because most of the other wines you can find them you know, in other places, but we're the only people who, you know, who've got this wine. Yeah. Uh, from here, when you, you drink something like this, uh, uh, when you see the location, the piece of land where this wine here, and when you see this one here, is uh, uh, you know, almost kissing each other. Uh, and uh, but you can see the difference. Yeah, uh, exactly. uh, of course, the age of the vine. Those are not the first wine that we tried. The first uh, uh, bottle of Sabatiano uh, uh, is not much younger. The vines, uh, but this one here comes only from that piece of land mm. here. It's uh, a really yes. distinctive yeah. wine, isn't it? It's, you can tell the difference straight away. It's not quite as fresh, I don't think. It's more. Uh, full body yeah. um, has got much much longer finish for me. Mm. Uh, the first uh, bottle I find more of an excellent all rounder. Yeah, uh, very easy uh, drinking. Uh, 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 this one here, it, it makes me uh, focus more. It makes me say, I need to order something from the menu. Where the the first one you can uh, easily open a bottle, yeah, and um, you know I don't know have a. A, a good sliced tomato with uh, mm -hmm. a bit of salt on the top and uh, just going oh back to it. It's uh, amazing because you wouldn't expect, you know, it's from the same 
area. Mm-hmm. It's from the same producer. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't expect such, just to home in on a tiny bit of the vineyard to make such a difference. Yes, yes. Uh, I think that was even uh, a, a very intriguing uh, surprise for uh, uh, the, the, the Greek enologist. Uh, uh, the, the terroir of Greece, you know. Yeah. Uh, lots of times we didn't know that we actually have a, a, a terroir, mm-hmm. that you can see the difference from uh, a vine that is, as I said, in kissing distance from the other one. And, and here is a very good example. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating mm-hmm. to see the difference. It really is. So, now we've got one more. We're going to go, uh, uh, of course, across Santorini. We cannot uh, escape a wine tasting uh, and not include Santorini. Uh-huh. So do you find that the islands taste very different to the mainland or is it all still really unique? Uh, okay, we can taste an acidico from the mainland uh, and uh, you will never think that it's an acidico. Um, and so uh, we've got Santorini here. Um, so this island here, which is just uh, uh, next to Mykonos, is called Tinos. Just a bit further north. Yes, and and has got uh, acetico. If you try the acetico from Tinos, uh, which is uh, about two hour sailing distance from Santorini, two and a half hours, is a totally different thing. Uh, So you, uh, and and I'm saying, you know, the the structure changes Mm. totally. The dryness is there, uh, which is a, uh, the the citrusy uh, aromas are there, but uh, it's a, you know the structure is totally different. But here we've got uh, a, a thalassitis. When I first had thalassitis uh, back in uh, my first time in 1999, the first thing uh, that I said uh, I just want to have a, a, a bucket of oysters. Uh, or uh, another bucket of uh, scallops mm. is, is crying for seafood. But that's my palate. So it's Thalassitis uh, uh, from uh, the Yeah Estate. Yeah Estate have got two wineries, uh, one in uh, uh, Santorini and one in Nemea. Nemea is the area of the first wine that we okay. try, the red wine. Uh, in uh, Santorini, they produce this acidico here. With the Santorinian um, geographical structure, it's quite difficult to have uh, a, a wineries down by the sea. So the majority of them, they are up uh, on, on, on the upper levels of uh, uh, Santorini. Yeah. They are very, very uh, uh, volcanic. Um, and uh, the, the colors of the landscape where the, the vines are incredible. Um, and uh, a, a very uh, totally beaten by the Meltemi, the, the Aegean wind. Yeah. Um, and the Sandorinian um, uh, vines, uh, they look like bird nests. Um, okay. And they're, they're always round, and the, um, and, and, the, and the grapes are growing from the inside. They have done it like this purely to protect the wines grapes, from uh, yeah. the grapes, you know, sorry, from the, yeah. uh, uh, from the winds. Uh, uh, this wine comes in uh, uh, two uh, versions uh, from a steel vat, or uh, slightly uh, oak fermented. Okay. Uh, uh, fermented. Uh, uh, this one that we're drinking is uh, is not oak fermented. Uh, so here we are. Unfortunately, it's Monday, so I don't have oysters to bring you. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it, uh, because if you just uh, try the wine, is dry. Yeah. It's dry. It's not. Uh, 
uh, a, a wine that you're gonna drink uh, uh, by itself. Um, it's delicious. It, you cannot uh, uh, have it in the pub with a dry roast spinach. Lots of times when we talk about dry wine, uh, if you if you are not too friendly with wines, you might find a negative connotation, but it's not, it's actually, uh, you know, uh, um, it's a compliment yeah. uh, uh, to some of the wines. So we're saying here there is a, a nice little uh, romantic story behind uh, the, the Thala cities. Uh, uh, the, um, the, the, the main uh, uh, man uh, uh, behind, or the enologist behind uh, the Thala cities, Yanis, um, uh, I can't remember the exact year, 2009, 2010, I guess over lots of uh, uh, uso, um, <laughs> uh, they, they thought of uh, 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 dropping to the bottom of the Sandorinian uh, Sea uh, oh, wow. a, a, a few cases of those wines. Oh my gosh, and, um, business. And, uh, and just go a year later, uh, you know, to, to, to find out uh, <coughs> how do they taste. So, uh, what, was, what was the theory behind that? Uh, or do they just want to see how it lack of oxygen, so okay. it cannot get oxidized, I guess, and yeah. uh, same kind of temperature, so very okay. even temperature. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's you know the only thing. About two weeks or three weeks uh, uh, after he had put a few cases down the bottom of the sea, uh, uh, there was a very strong meltemi, you know, the typical northeast. Uh, uh, north northeast uh, uh, Aegean wind um, uh, for quite a few days. Um, and when the sea became very calm, they said, okay, let's go and see what has happened to those bottles. And they couldn't find any. Okay. The only they could see, they were just broken bottles, a few corks uh, oh, floating on the surface. So they, they had kind of lost everything. <laughs> but a few months later, they, uh, they, they, they actually saw two, three bottles still being alive, not very oh, close wow. to where they did it. And last year, I was very lucky to, to, to try one of those. And I'm, I'm going to show you also how the bottle looks like because it has gone, literally, has been, had been for at least a couple of years yeah. uh, down wow. uh, in the bottom of the sea. So it doesn't look as clean as it looks this <laughs> one here. So, and Yanis decided to now bring it a level up. So now he's got a proper a cage mm -hmm. uh, that he puts all his crates inside and then closes the crate. So he wasn't and put then, off by losing. No, no. And then just, you know, lands in the bottom of the sea. Uh, I think puts lots of weight also not to lose the, uh, you know, the location. And uh, if you visit that cage uh, as a diver uh, a few months later, if you try to put your hand through, uh, uh, sometimes you get very scared because you see a big eel coming out from there. Uh, you're gonna see this part here having uh, uh, the strong prints of the octopus suckers. Oh wow! Um, and That's uh, so, cool. uh, so you will never be able to have any quantities. You cannot really say I'm exporting case of that in the country. Yeah. Uh, but I'm saying just to. Um, a to complement the wine, but also to say that uh, normally behind every Greek story there is a romantic story, and, and this is a quite romantic story, um, you know, for that particular wine and, uh, uh, and the location. So this is the second year that you've done the London Greek Wine Festival. Yes. And it's from the 
It's the, October 8th and 9th, is it, that right? The 8th and 9th of uh, October. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, over a weekend. Uh, we, like the, the last year's uh, festival, we focus on uh, Greek indigenous varieties. Lots, I would say the majority of the, either the knowledges or the wine producers will be there. So you will have all the chance to, you know, to talk to them. And um, it's spread over the two days because there are, if I remember well, more than 150 labels, different labels. And um, uh, we touch both main colors, the, um, uh, the, the red and the white, yeah. uh, uh, rosé, including sparkling. Uh, 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 this year we've got uh, a, a very uh, excellent curator. Uh, and that's Oli Smith, so he's gonna will be creating yeah. you know, the festival. This year also we've got lots of master classes that uh, the majority of them will be you know, created by you know uh, Oli Smith. Uh, Oli Smith is not a, an accidental; uh, it hasn't been an accidental decision. Um, uh, he's, uh, I think, since he finished his high school, he's going to Greece every year. Uh, uh, he loves a Greek wine. Uh, he knows about the Greek wine, he drinks Greek wine, and he can talk about it. We've got, uh, uh, again, with uh, 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 Oli Smith uh, and myself, quite a few uh, wine tours. Okay, so, uh, so you can arrive and uh, we can uh, uh, select uh, uh, you know, a group up to eight people uh, and go and visit uh, three, four wineries and taste the wines and, 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 and talk to the people. Uh, and so it's based here in, in King's Cross. It's based here in King's Cross. Okay. It's uh, sandwiched no, it's underneath the Handyside Canopy, which is sandwiched between uh, the St. Martin's uh, uh, Arts College yeah. and uh, a Waitress. Uh, and if people can't get to the festival, I mean, a lot of restaurants now, a lot more restaurants are putting Greek wines on their menu, but can you pick them up at a supermarket? Where's the best place? Would you have to go to specialist? shops, where can people kind of hunt them down and find out more? Uh, okay, uh, first of all, ourselves, uh, if you live in London, because uh, uh, we may have here the, the biggest selection of good wines. We've got over 60 uh, uh, labels uh, of our choice, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we uh, uh, retail them, so you don't have to be uh, a diner. To, to try okay, them. Great. So, so you we, can come we in and pick up them. Bottle, so yeah. you come through our uh, retail shop, uh, and like you can buy lots of uh, uh, food produce. You can buy all our wines mm -hmm. and Greek beers. Uh, so that's uh, you know uh, the option if you want also to be connected a bit more to the wine. So to have someone also to go th a bit into more details about the wines yeah. and help you. Uh, otherwise, lots of supermarkets nowadays of the usual, you know, uh, suspects, you know, they've got the Greek wines. Yeah. So Greek wine is not any more a rarity. I guess it's just having the, you know, taking a bit of a risk and picking a bottle that you haven't tried before and taking it home and seeing what you think. And is uh, 15 pounds a risk nowadays? No, and if it is a risk, it's a nice risk today. Yeah. Yeah, so with 10 pounds entrance, uh, you, you can taste more than 150 bottles of wine. If you do, I'm sure you need 
to book St. John's Ambulance um, <laughs> uh, to come and pick you up. Uh, Please drink responsibly, guys. <laughs> you don't have to try them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, so guys, if you want to head down, the website is londongreekwinefestival.co.uk. I will definitely be there drinking lots of Greek wine. I'm officially a convert. Theodore, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you to Sarah, our drinks writer, for studiously drinking more wine for us. She's a good egg. And to Theodore, co-owner and founder of the Greek Larder and curator of the London Greek Wine Festival, which, just in case you didn't catch it, is on the 8th to 9th of October this year. And he's going to be hosting that along with fellow Enafar, Ollie Smith. As Theodore said, it's just £10 entrance, which is a bargain. Get yourself there. You can find more details online. Abergavenny Food Festival has long been heralded as an essential date in any foodie's diary. And this year I made my maiden voyage, it might have taken me six hours, but it was worth it, I promise, to the beautiful Welsh town and caught up with some passionate foodies from across the globe to discover their predictions for next year's foodie agenda. First up, I bumped into Anya Morris, director of Bristol Food Connections Festival, who had hopped across the bridge to discuss the true cost of food. Uh, so I'm Anya Morris, Director of Bristol Food Connections Festival. Um, we have just been here in the farmyard at Abergavenny Food Festival talking about um, the true cost of food and how we get people to think more about what, what their food costs and, and um, why a chi- cheap chicken might be so cheap. So we've been looking at why it is that food in the supermarket is potentially so cheap and what the reality is for farmers producing food in an environment that puts such a low value on it. Um, we've talked a bit about uh, the need to buy food which um, has been produced in a good kind of way, that has a good story behind it, where the people within that food chain have been valued. Um, uh, but then also we were looking at, well, what does that mean in terms of, are we just saying people should pay more money for food? Because actually, um, uh, you know, a lot of people are living within an environment where life is coming becoming more expensive wages are stagnating bills are going up so it's difficult to come to a uh, quite a middle class you know foodie festival and to have a conversation that says oh well you know everyone should be buying beautiful organic vegetables and grass-fed meat when at the moment that eating that way is actually a lot more expensive and so yeah we've been exploring ideas around that and just thinking about what that means for people in reality trends for 2017 I don't know I, th- I think there's been a huge explosion um, a bit of a British food revolution over the last four or five years in terms of the, the amount of people who do value where their food comes from and are interested in buying things with a good story behind it I think we're um, locally reared grass fed meat um, I think what we've seen in the last couple of months is the um, uh, explosion of this uh, myth around saturated fat not being good for you and particularly in the articles out this week about how the sugar lobby was paying for people to be able to say that fat was the issue instead of sugar so I'm looking forward to reclaiming good quality fat in 2017 I think we'll all feel less guilty about having real butter or eating a beautiful grass-fed steak Um, uh, I think that kind of way of eating for people is both delicious and really healthy I think we'll continue to see this trend of a lot more young people becoming really involved in food and caring a lot about where their food comes from Um, uh, you know I can only speak on behalf of, uh, of Bristol and what's going on in Bristol but we're seeing this absolute just explosion in the number of new restaurants, new food outlets, people starting little independent shops or market stalls and and young people really choosing food as a career that delivers for them uh, not only in terms of money but in terms of lifestyle and quality of life and the kind of relationships you have with people. Thank you to Anya Morris. If you want to hear more about Bristol Food Connections, the festival Anya directs when not championing good fats, go back to episode two of the Olive Magazine podcast where I chat to some of the festival street food traders. 
Roman food writer Eleonora Galasso, meanwhile, hopes to banish food fetishes for 2017. Hello guys, my name is Eleonora Galasso, I'm a food writer and I was in Bergavani today to present my book As the Romans Do with a masterclass about romanity and food happiness which is that feeling you have once you're presented with a dish that is full of promise and you have yet to taste it. I am not about food fetishization, so I don't think there should be one ingredient that should be used rather than another, because I really tend to use up everything I have in my cupboard and my fridge, because I think that uh, throwing away things is almost blaspheme. But what I do think should be done in 2017 is certainly to go regional. We should go and pay more attention to the typical food on, of any area and um, try and champion those foods because these are the food that talk about the identity of people. So whatever you are, guys, try and really get through the skin of your place and uh, try out the, the, those foods and make them be alive again by twisting them at home and cook at home and have fun because eating in is the new eating out. Gareth West, Korean food specialist, you might remember we featured Gareth's recipes from his brilliant book K-Food in our May issue, picks his hero ingredient for next year. Hi, my name's Gareth. I'm demonstrating Korean burgers today from our book K-Foods. And I'm also doing traditional bulgogi, so by doing really simple things, I can show someone how to make a really traditional dish and a really modern dish at the same time. And I think you should be trying gochujang in 2017. It's definitely the best spicy sauce that there is in terms of smoky, sweet, perfect balance between all of those things and it's delicious and you can use it in anything. We use it in lots of different recipes, our sticky ribs, um, our pork belly dish um, and dubu gimchi which is one of my favourites. It's a really awesome way of using tofu because it's tofu with pork added to it which is always a good thing. <laughs> I think that Korean food's just really good with meat. They, they, they just know how to make meat taste like meat, which is really cool. And with everyone kind of getting back to simple food, um, Korean food is just per, pure simplicity at its best and in a really good way. And finally, here's Anand George. He's one of my favourite Cardiff chefs. He's been impressing diners in the Welsh capital for the best part of a decade with his restaurant Purple Poppadom and now a street food stall. And this autumn, he's releasing his debut book, The 5,000 Mile Journey, charting his culinary path from Kerala to the Diff. Hi, I'm Anan George from Restaurant Purple Bobberum in Cardiff. Uh, I do uh, an Indian cuisine. My interpretation of the food where I come from, a lot of inspiration from Kerala, uh, my travels, and that's what I try to bring in with the textures, flavors, and presentation. Uh, we moved into a new direction with street food, and we got a food trailer called the Taka Tuck. Um, the major seller is, a, we call it the KFC, the Kerala fried chicken. Nothing to do with KFC. <laughs> but still the inspiration of uh, from the dishes from Kerala. So we have used uh, coriander, fennel seeds, uh, red chili paste uh, to give a zinc. Uh, apple chutney, uh, pickled cucumber. So it's it's a mix of international plate. That's what you can't say that it's just an Indian. My exposure over the years, uh, London, uh, Cardiff, all these things, we, we try it. We thought, why don't we revolutionize the street food? And that's what's happening now, and that's what we try to take to next year. I'm trying. I'm trying to start a travel company. Uh, so it's basically a culinary experience to Kerala uh, by Anand George. So taking a group of 10 to 12 on a culinary journey to Kerala. That's what I'm planning to start next year.
So you heard it here first. At Abergavenny Food Festival, 2017 will be the year of good quality fat. Yes to butter and grass-fed meat. We'll see youthful foodies smashing it in the food and drink industry. It's the year we should be making extra effort to reduce our food waste. It's the time to embrace and learn how to say got you chuang properly and take a trip to Kerala. Lots of things to consider for next year. Thank you for listening to the Olive Magazine podcast. As ever, the team would love to hear from you, so please make sure you get in touch via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, snail mail, telephone, you name it, we'd love to hear from you with ideas and feedback. Remember, you can review and rate us on iTunes and subscribe for free via your favourite podcast provider. Happy listening, happy eating, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>